Hello, happy daylight savings situation. Yeah. Whatever, this weird, murky, dark weirdness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Liz and I just learned that um, Arizona, most of Arizona, does not participate in daylight savings time. I don't understand how it works, but I would also like to not participate in daylight savings time. You may get your wish soon for the article that I skimmed says that 29 states have introduced legislation to opt out of it. I would enjoy that because as it stands right now, no matter what time I get off of work, it is pitch black outside. So I get 30 minutes of daylight a day. The real problem is you are working too much. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a whole other separate capitalist nightmare. Um, but that's the real nightmare, I think, <laughs> about like winter and stuff is that like we're not supposed to keep the same hours all throughout the year. Like how how would they have done that back in the Middle Ages? They didn't. They just like went to bed early. Mm-hmm. We make up such <laughs> weird rules for ourselves. I know. Ever since the Industrial Revolution, it, our world is just a nightmare. Like, you know what? It would be really cool if I had to drive to work in the daylight, but it, I got to spend all of my free hours in the dark. Right. Like, why is that better? One is not better than the other. <laughs> they both suck. <laughs> they both suck. Work sucks. Yes. <laughs> I went back to work today. Um, I work from home, so it's <laughs> fine. I went back to work today. <laughs> <laughs> I opened my email again today um, for the first time since the wedding. And I'm just like still in <laughs> bride mode, I think, where I'm like, I don't have to cook. I don't have to clean up after myself. Somebody else will just do all these things for me. I don't need to work. So that was a very rude awakening. And I just don't think I'm cut out for a job. (laughs) (laughs) Period. (laughs) Neither am I. But alas, here we are. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Your birthday's coming up. It is. I'm trying to to not think about that because um like how's the universe gonna top last year when they killed my grandma oh my god (laughs) what's the sequel to that the universe is like hmm it it has 365 days to like figure out how to top itself um Uh and i am concerned i'm worried yes I'm only turning 27 and I've got a lot of years for it to continue to get worse. So. Well, you've got till what, 56? <laughs> That's uh, your expiration date. <laughs> between between that and 63. That's okay. that's when I plan to croak. So Okay. Why multiples of are they multiples of nine? Eight? Seven? <laughs> seven? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know math. <laughs> it's not what I have a degree in. Right. Um, well, I hope you have a good birthday. On your birthday in Galena, they're doing their, um, it's like a wine festival where mm-hmm. all the, like the new wine, they like give it away to the store owners and stuff and they have a parade. It's very, um, it gives me like French 
countryside and the 15th century vibes um it's kind of cool to watch um you should go have fun for me maybe I will um yeah maybe I will I'm scared of crowds though and I don't like going downtown on the weekends because there's tourists everywhere and they make me fucking sick (laughs) (laughs) it's so annoying they just like their mouths are always open Mm -hmm. (laughs) like fish and they just step into the street (laughs) like uh, they're like fully just launching themselves into traffic all the time it's very irritating well I'm very glad that when I visited I was with you and not not with you so that you would have hated me the entire time I was there (laughs) well (laughs) yeah um I don't actively hate people. I just get so frustrated and like they take all my parking spaces. They leave trash everywhere. Like, like why come to a place if you're going to act like, like that? I don't know. But um, (laughs) on Saturday we were taking (laughs) wedding pictures downtown and Saturday is like by far like the busiest, craziest day of the week downtown. And so Mm -hmm. the streets were like completely packed. It was so awkward people were just like staring like a few people said congrats but most people were just like (laughs) glassy eyed stare I was like okay very uncomfortable I Um, will now no longer stare at people getting their wedding photos done because I have done that before oh I do it too for sure but now it's hard not on the other end of it It's not fun to be on the other end. Um, But then we went to the cemetery to take more photos and it was very quiet there. (laughs) I imagine I would be worried if it were not quiet. (laughs) Very raucous afternoon at the cemetery. (laughs) I ever told you one of the stupid like dad jokes that my grandpa used to tell me all the time when we were driving past cemeteries. Was it the one where, um, oh, that's a famous cemetery. Hmm. Oh. We would just drive by and he'd be like, how many, how many people you think are dead in there? And be like, I don't know. And he'd go, well, hopefully all of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. Um, that's a really good one. Uh, my friend's mom would always make the joke of like oh did you know that's a famous cemetery and I fell for it like the first three times like an embarrassing number of times I was like oh my god really she's like yeah everybody's dying to get in (laughs) (laughs) damn it she got me again (laughs) she would space out the jokes just far enough that I would Mm -hmm. forget (laughs) damn it um so what what are we talking about today today um I feel like my story is going to be much different from yours. So I don't know what the common denominator really is yet. (laughs) There might not be one. (laughs) It's a surprise. It will be a surprise. We'll figure it out when you do. We will figure it out as we go. Um, You gave me like colonial America and I said... Um, thanks but no thanks and I kind of did a little switcheroo but hopefully there's enough threads that it (laughs) makes a little bit of sense (laughs) I'm sure it will yeah it'll be fine we've done it before we'll do it again we've got this the end 
All righty. So I am in Connecticut. Uh, not us, but I am. Why? Uh, I cannot remember. I genuinely cannot remember why I chose Connecticut. Like what search terms I had punched in, what rabbit hole I had gone down that led me to Connecticut uh-huh. or today's witches. Um, but, but that's where I am. And it's, it's been a long, long week, as you mm-hmm. know. Alas, I did not get married uh, <laughs> like you did. Alas. Uh, <laughs> alas, uh, not that I want to get married. Um, but I did swipe a shit ton of free Coke from the store because since it's the holidays, like every time we hit another event, they buy things for morale to put into the break room. Mm. Nobody likes the Diet Coke. So every time people look the other direction, I just went into the break room and grabbed a soda and I put it in my locker until I had acquired mini sodas swirled <laughs> in my locker. A cornucopia of sodas. A verifiable stash of Diet Coke in my locker. Wow, nice. And then yesterday I smuggled it all into my lunch bag and brought it home. I have like half of a, I have most of a 12 pack, I believe. (laughs) I am impressed and moved by this tale. I love stealing things from work. Technically it was paid for, but I do believe the honor system, I was only supposed to take one. Yeah, but if nobody else was even taking one, it had been there for like four days. Yeah. So that's it's mine at that point. Yes. Anywho. So you've just been chugging Diet Coke ever since. Well, only since 11, because I had to go give my blood to the people. So (laughs) I could only have water. It makes it sound like you're some really (laughs) like intense cult leader that's just like opening your veins like in some ritual. Yeah, I had to go provide my blood. Um, But no, I had to fast. So the only thing I could have since yesterday was water. Oh, gross. Yeah. Loved it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anywho. To the point, Connecticut. I'm going to touch on the beginnings of Connecticut a tad because I'm sure that you are extremely interested in how Connecticut came to be as a state. Look, I know <laughs> basically nothing about American history, so this will be great for me. Uh, um, <laughs> I will lead into laws in Connecticut at the time of these witch trials, and then I'm going to talk about those trials. And I'm going to be covering a few because the trial records are lacking and the stories are not terribly, terribly long. Mm-hmm. So, Connecticut, for our non American listeners, Connecticut is a tiny state on the East Coast by New York. For our American listeners, Connecticut is a tiny state on the East Coast by New York. (laughs) Got it. I'm there. Uh Uh-huh. I know that we crammed as many states as humanly fucking possible into New England. Mm -hmm. Like literally just stomped them up into the corner of New England. Um, Mm -hmm. And they are not the easiest to learn. Yeah. Connecticut, before we took it over, was populated by about a dozen Native American tribes, the Pequot will go to war with the colonists in 1637. I do not blame them for that. Mm. I f- didn't write this down. Always say this, didn't write it down, but I loved reading some of the laws and they're like, and this is, this is what the Native Americans will abide by. This is what they have to do. This is the laws they have to follow. It's like, 
Okay. Okay, you better let them know that. <laughs> right. <laughs> what ride do you have bossing them around? <laughs> right, exactly. It's ridiculous. If somebody showed up in my house and they're like, and you will take your shoes off at the door and your coat goes here and I get the remote. I'd be like, sit your bitch ass down. This is my house. I w- actually wouldn't mind like a tiny bit of direction. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, with boundaries. <laughs> boundaries is not something that the colonists had so no um they they will go to war with one another not getting into it today though uh because unlike salem native americans don't have direct connections to our witches this time around because i know last time we talked about uh i forgot her name and hannibal is chasing a bread pie at the same time um what is her name the salem witch trials the lady in the woods with the tituba yeah her thank you you are welcome the only thing i could think of was tecumseh i'm like no that's (laughs) the other story that's the other one (laughs) (laughs) not that one Mm -hmm. um no direct connections this time um but it's important to note that colonists have shoehorned themselves somewhere that they are not wanted and that does not necessarily lend itself to a sense of calm Mm. Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. You don't just sit in your living room like, ah, I can relax knowing that there are like 12 tribes out there that absolutely want to kill you because you right. your home. Yeah. Um, now the Dutch are in Connecticut before the colonists are, but I read in places that they are not considered the first settlers because they just traded in the area. Mm. I think that's a fancy way of saying we're Americans and we don't want to believe that anybody ever lived in our country or settled it before it was ours. So yeah, I mean, that's probably true. We just made a bunch of technicalities. So yeah. Um. The Dutch established a fort at the modern-day location of Hartford in 1633. William Holmes of the Plymouth Colony establishes a trading post in 1633 where the Farmington River meets the Connecticut River, which arguably is the first English settlement in Connecticut. Hmm. The post becomes the town of Windsor later on. And in 1634, John Oldham establishes a settlement south of the Dutch that becomes the city, not the city, the town of Wethersfield. And finally, in 1636, a group of settlers from Massachusetts founds Hartford and the Connecticut colony. Okay. And they're the ones who get the credit for founding Connecticut. Right. (laughs) Even though you can see that many, many people were there before them. The leader of this group of settlers uh, in the most popular versions of the story is a man named Thomas Hooker, a.k.a. Thomas Streetwalker, <laughs> a.k.a. Thomas Lady of the Night. Thomas the Tart. <laughs> I love that for him. Thomas the Tart, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, too late. I've said it. He shall henceforth be known as <laughs> Thomas the Tart, founder Let of it be known throughout the lands. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if we'd been around in like the 1600s? We would have made so much fun of so many people. We would have not been around for very long. <laughs> oh, no. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> we would have called him Thomas the Tart about one time. <laughs> it would have been funny, though. Would have got a lot of laughs. that's what it's all about oh (laughs) 
Thomas is a reverend. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> I should have seen that coming. You're asking us what we're giggling about in the back of church. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway um while his birthplace is debated he did live and preach in Kelmsford England for a time before he later immigrated and this is important because quote the witchcraft illusion was at its height in England at the time when Connecticut was framing her criminal code 17 persons had been convicted of witchcraft in Lancashire in 1634 16 were condemned at Yarmouth in 1644 15 at Kelmsford Thomas Hooker's old home in Essex in 1645, nearly 60 in Suffolk, and as many in Huntington, Huntingdonshire, Huntingdonshire in 1645 and 1646. Dang. Um, so my point being is that uh, I know we often think of colonists as their own thing because they got away from England and they birthed their country, democracy, innovation, whatever the fuck they mm-hmm. preach to us. Um, but they didn't just show up here with brand new, like never seen before ideas. They didn't pop up out of nowhere. These colonists have countries of origins. They have attitudes that they grew up with, laws they grew up around. They have fears, prejudice, beliefs, procedures, all of this stuff that's influenced by their places of origin. Yeah, you don't just like lose all the thoughts in your head when you travel. Like, yes. <laughs> Unless your tour is coming to Galena, Illinois. (laughs) Um, And they're not going to be entirely out of the loop on what's going on in England either, because they are still English. Mm -hmm. Um, England still affects them. So when we think about witchcraft in America, we can't divorce it from other countries just because it's across an ocean. Mm -hmm. Now to segue into all of the legal legal mumbo jumbo, um, Connecticut, when it starts, pretty much copy and paste Massachusetts laws minus a couple changes. Um, And these laws are strict, but they are also very reflective of laws in England at the time, especially underneath the reign of James I. Mm. Mm -hmm. The laws in Connecticut I want to talk about specifically are the, quote, blue laws. Okay. It's a term I'd never heard before. Me neither. Uh, Though some sources I read said we don't know the etymology for blue in this uh, context, and there's this fake etymology out there that laws like these were originally printed on like blue paper and things. Not true. Um, A book I did read, which I'll give the title of in a second, did cite blue as coming from the proverb, true blue will never stain this understanding that this meant people of fixed principles and morals don't stray from those principles and morals Hmm. and uh, that being someone unwilling to change after the reformation was a bad thing. So blue and puritanical become synonymous and that's kind of how you end up with blue laws. Okay. So they're anti- catholic i would guess they are strict religious moral laws okay um and they're rooted in the bible Mm. uh every (laughs) crime and punishment assigned uh essentially gets a justification at the end with a biblical citation that's scary like one is quote if any man after legal conviction shall have 
have or worship any other God, but the Lord God, he shall be put to death. Deuteronomy 13, six and 17 two, Exodus 22, 20. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. the way that they all are. It's law, Bible, law, Bible, law, Bible. Like, Scary. Ooh. I don't know if I want to go to the Bible for how we should be prosecuting people. <laughs> it's not a good idea. Don't do it. They were kind of stoning people to death it, and all kinds of shit. Right. It doesn't, and it doesn't apply anymore. Like, no. it just doesn't apply. I feel like we've advanced as a society. Past, like, the code of Hammurabi. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh it's important to note when studying Connecticut's blue laws that there are fake ones out there that were published as propaganda that not everybody knows are fake. And so mm. they get circulated as though they are real. Mm. I didn't know that there were real and fake blue laws in Connecticut until I decided to include blue laws in my research uh, in my episode. But my further research did lead me to a book called Huge Sigh, uh, quote, the true blue laws of Connecticut and New Haven and the false blue laws invented by the Reverend Samuel Peters to which are added specimens of the laws and judicial proceedings of other colonies and some blue laws of England in the reign of James the first. Oh my End God. quote. Jesus. Edited by J. Hammond Trumbull in 1876. Hmm. But the title pretty much sums up everything you need to know about <laughs> the book right there. Yeah. It's true. It's a 360 page book. I read maybe a fifth of it. For the most part, it's just a collection of laws and court records from Connecticut, other states in England. But the point of it was to prove, hey, here are the real laws and their origins and here are the fake laws and their origins. Mm -hmm. Reverend Peters, the author of the fake laws, was an Anglican loyalist who just didn't really like the colonists or what was going on in the colonies, what they were all about. So mm-hmm. he published this unflattering account full of misrepresentations about them mm-hmm. saying like, it's illegal to kiss your kid on Sundays. <laughs> like they're all crazy like that. Right. Um, and Trumbull in his book uh, adds footnotes to Peter's section of the book addressing like where he's mistaken and how or like he's exaggerating this or this is specific to only one colony and mm. he made a generali- generalization about everybody yeah from it okay so he just takes it apart one by one mm-hmm. uh, but peters is pretty much just attempting to make the colonists sound like crazy strict religious weirdos which i think they did that on their own well <laughs> enough yeah i don't um, think they needed any help with that one no, some of the real blue laws are like, if you blaspheme, we'll kill you. <laughs> and please do not fuck your sheep or we will be forced to take action against both you and your sheep. And your sheep. Oh, no, the sheep are innocent. No, if you fuck an animal, they kill the animal and they bury it. Oh, that's sad. And so it is written and so it shall be. Ouch. Um... But the important one for today is, quote, if any man or woman be a witch, parentheses, that is, hath or consulteth with a familiar spirit, in parentheses, they shall be put to death, cue biblical citations. Hmm. And that's like the very second law. So it's not very far down the page. It's like number mm-hmm. two, don't have other God, don't have other gods, don't be a witch, then some other stuff. Okay, so that was a priority. 
Yes, they're very concerned about those two things, I guess. Um, so you have this law, you have this puritanical mindset, you have influence from England and their witchcraft ideas and the craze that's still happening over there. You've got warring with the Native Americans plus an influenza epidemic in 1647 that's reported by Governor Winthrop. Um, add it all together and you've got your backdrop for the witch trials in Connecticut. Cool beans. They take place in between 1647 and 1663, so about 30 to 50 years before Salem. Mm -hmm. At minimum, nine women and two men are executed. Uh, I got pretty consistent numbers for the most part about that until I hit like one or two articles that like disagreed about the number of executed. Mm. So, okay throwing that out there, mm -hmm. but I will read the names of the victims that I could track down at the end of my story. One of the sources I use for the Connecticut trials today is the colonial history of Hartford gathered from the original records by William DeLost Love, which like Trumpel's book you can read online. Another is A Case of Witchcraft in Hartford published in Connecticut Magazine in 1899 by Charles Hoadley. You can also read that online. And on top of those two sources, I used about three dozen online articles from places like Time and the New York Times and Connecticut History. Mm -hmm. There is more info out there too that I didn't get around to. All of this to say that the info on these Connecticut witches is sparse and you might get on one witch, one sentence from this guy's diary and two sentences from this guy's book and a paragraph from this newspaper and all of it together is the story and yeah. multiply this by how many witches there are and you can see why researching this was a little bit of a pain in my ass. <laughs> Just a dad. Our first witch has a couple of names. You'll see it most often as Alice Young, but it also shows up as Alse, A-L-S-E Young, or I'd never seen this name before, but apparently it's biblical, Oxa Young, A-C-H-S-A-H. -S never heard of it. It's, it's probably one of those obscure ones. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I just looked at it and went, hmm, that's not in my mental dictionary. <laughs> it's not a name. <laughs> <laughs> that's a sneeze. That's just a some, sneeze on a page. Some letters. <laughs> sneeze on the page <laughs> that's funny <laughs> we don't know much of anything about Alice at all which is sad for a very particular reason that I will get to what we do know is that Alice lives in Windsor and has a relative named John Young which may be her husband or may not be some people write that it's her husband some people write that it's just a relative that is supposed to be her husband okay uh, she has a daughter, also named Alice. Of course. Who will, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I do like that when women get to have like girls named after them because dudes so often name their sons after them. Right. Like if one, if one half is doing it, then the other half should get to do it too, if they want to. Ideally, nobody should be doing it. <laughs> no. I don't enjoy it because, well... I don't enjoy it for a very particular reason. And it's because I once read a text post that said, if you name your kid after like your spouse, then anytime you have sex, technically you're saying your kid's name. Yep. It's not good. I don't enjoy that. No. That's a thought that I've never been able to unglue from the <laughs> inside of my brain. 
It's not good. Mm-mm. Alice the Younger will stand trial um, in Massachusetts about three decades from this for witchcraft. I don't think that she's hanged, but I also don't think that we know what actually happens to her. I did not Mm. look it up. Um, But as for Alice the Older, this is all we really have on her. No story, no backstory. We don't know why she was accused, what she was accused of. The only reason we know about her trial and her execution are because of a brief note in Governor Winthrop's writings that, quote, one of Windsor reigned and executed at Hartford for a witch, end quote, a blank that's filled by a quick note jotted down in the cover of a town clerk's diary. His name is Matthew Grant, and that note is, quote, May 26, 1647, Alice Young was hanged, end Hmm. quote, and that's it. Full stop, that is all we have like on this lady's death. Yikes. And it, it's sad because she is the first witch executed in America. The very <laughs> um, first witch executed in colonial America. And they were just like, meh. <laughs> and we'll just scribble her down. Right. So a couple, couple words dedicated to her. Next. <laughs> so yeah, just from like historian kind of stand standpoint it's really fucking sad that like the very first one nobody really gave a shit to write <laughs> anything down at all yikes i wonder why i wonder what was going on i wonder what she did probably nothing yeah. <laughs> i know that one article said in particular that one reason it could be that it went so under the radar wasn't written about is that the influenza p- epidemic was happening at the same time Um, And Winthrop did write about that. So he may have dedicated more of his attention to that than to her. And because she could have been a scapegoat for that, she was just like a passing mention to these people dying. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe. Because it's, he talks about like, you know, 40 or 50 people like dropping dead here and in this colony and in this colony. Um, So like one woman could be nothing next to that. I don't know. I guess so, yeah. I don't know what was on that weirdo's mind. Yeah. And so we move on. Um, in 1648, a woman named Mary Johnson is accused of witchcraft. Mary is a house servant who keeps getting in trouble for theft. Mm-hmm. The last time she's caught, she's whipped by a local minister, um, which I as an image find very funny the minister is the one who whips the shit out of her (laughs) right but also like it makes my stomach hurt yeah (laughs) it's not good (laughs) i just think about him like whipping the shit out of her like watching that and then going to a service with him like anyway turn the other cheek (laughs) yesterday i just saw you beat the shit out of a woman Anyway, the Lord is kind and merciful. (laughs) Okay. Repent and you shall be forgiven. Right. Um, It is while she is being whipped that she confesses that she does not like being a servant. Another article I read said that that is particularly egregious, especially in a puritanical society, because she's confessing that she thinks she is above her station. Mm. Um, 
And that's a no-no. You don't just go around saying like, I think I'm better than being a servant. I don't like doing all these chores. Man, I really would not have lasted long <laughs> no. in New England. I would have done a lot of, I would have learned how to stop bitching out loud, bitched in my head a mm-hmm. lot, a lot better. I would have perfected that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I would have been executed about 20 times over <laughs> in the colonies. They keep digging you up. <laughs> I'm killing you again. <laughs> this bitch. <laughs> um, she also after this, and I would guess probably not willingly confesses this, but I don't know, torture, pressure, uh, what have you. She confesses to being guilty of witchcraft because for me, it's a big leap to go from theft to I don't like doing chores to I'm a witch. So Mm -hmm. she says that she committed, quote, uncleanness with men and devils in quote, which uh, means exactly what you think it means. Mm -hmm. Um, And she says she also killed the child. Oh, she is convicted only of familiarity with the devil. They're like, we don't care how many men you fucked. We don't care about the child you supposedly killed. Right. The devil's penis is a no-no. <laughs> That's enough for us. We've seen enough. <laughs> We've heard enough. You're done. We're, You're, we're done. done. You're done. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> okay. Um, it turns out, however, that she is pregnant. Um, and so her execution is delayed because mm-hmm. they have some morals. Um, her son, when born, she gives question mark to the prison keeper's family. Hmm. Uh, they make it sound very much like she wanted this to happen. <laughs> right. Like she's in the prison. She's like, you know, what if I have to give my baby to anybody? I want it to be to the man keeping me in jail <laughs> right. right now who's taking such good care of me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a little weird. Um, so yeah, it gives question mark. Um, and we can guess at Mary's execution date based on when her payments for taking care of the child end. So like she is paying the jailer's family to take care of the kid and those oh. payments stop. And mm, well, she probably croaks. Right. You can surmise. Yeah. Once the child is old enough, he becomes an indentured servant to the jailer, which I'm sure he loved. Who was like his dad, like adopted dad. Adopted dad who imprisoned his mom. This is like Cinderella for this poor little boy. Imagine though your mom, just your mom gets accused of witchcraft and now you have to be an indentured servant. <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> and the whole reason she's there is because she didn't want to be she a didn't servant want to be anymore. A servant. Yeah, that's um generational curse, I would say. Oh, yes. Another witch is Lydia Gilbert from 1654. Her offense, a man living with her and her husband is during a militia drill accidentally shot by their neighbor. How's that her her, fault? That's her offense. How's that her fault? (laughs) The neighbor is found guilty of homicide by misadventure 
pays his fine and is released, but for some reason, manslaughter is not a good enough explanation for the incident for the public. So for two years, they gossip and gossip and gossip and stir themselves up that witchcraft must have caused that gun to misfire during the drill and kill that man. Um, There's no way that it just misfired on its own. There's no um, way that this like random collection of like shitty metal and literal gunpowder no and like wood burning stove <laughs> like just accident waiting to happen. There's no way that that contributed to anything. No, they're like this this witchcraft had to have caused the manslaughter. Um and because of that and Lydia being both connected to the neighbor and to the man who's been living with her and her husband. Um I don't know why he was living with them to be honest. Uh she is dragged into everything. She is found guilty and she is hanged. What 2 years heck? after another guy had already been punished for this crime sentenced and punished that is stupid it's dumb so dumb in 1662 a witch hysteria sparks when an eight-year-old elizabeth kelly visits a neighbor goodwife heirs is how i'm going to say it it's a y r e s i have Mm -hmm. no idea if i should be saying that differently i went to school with a girl with that last name and that's how she pronounced it so cool um while at this woman's house she has some broth she comes home and while she is home she she falls sick and she's sick for several days she is very very sick for several days Uh and then she dies Uh oh we know now that it was probably pneumonia bronchitis Mm -hmm. the bad mixture of things Uh, But her parents pushed this narrative that it can't have been any sort of like natural illness or anything. It has to have been the devil's work because she was horrendously sick out of nowhere. And then she dropped dead. And like a week ago, she was the peak of health. So what the fuck Mm. happened to our eight-year-old? So everyone gets wound up in the days that Elizabeth is sick out of nowhere. And after her death, her parents go on to testify that Goodwife Ayers strangled their daughter with black magic. What? And that some of Elizabeth's last words were conveniently, quote, Father, Father, help me, help me. Goodwife Ayers is upon me. She chokes me. She kneels on my belly. She will break my bowels. She pinches me. She makes me black and blue. Goodwife Ayers torments me. She pricks me with pins. She will kill me. Oh, Father, set on the great furnace and scald her. Get the broadaxe and cut off her head. In what? Yeah, I'm sure an eight-year-old with <laughs> pneumonia <laughs> definitely said all of that. <laughs> right. Um, also were they even there like were her parents even over at I thought she went over to the lady's house she came back at the end of the day and then she got sick which is why she got accused because it's like well she was with you all day and then you brought her home and she got sick so what the fuck right you had to have something to do with it. it's like no she just got sick after she came to my house like I'm yeah. never gonna interact with another child again if they, <laughs> I would if they get the flu and then suddenly I'm on the hook for murder. Yeah, I would not be um, taking any more visitors. No, no one's <laughs> welcome at my house ever again. Right, but they would execute you for that too. Probably they would. Catch twenty two, they'll get mm, you. Yep. 
During the case, Goodwife Ayers is taken to the Kelly house to view Elizabeth's body. Elizabeth's sleeves are rolled up to reveal bruises along her upper arms and her shoulders. And because this is suspicious and not really in line with like a natural death, Mm -hmm. they do order an autopsy. The physician's autopsy notes say Elizabeth is pliable instead of stiff. She's bruised all over and she has blood in her throat. This was obviously supernatural. And I am reading this the whole time going, you're so fucking stupid. That's what happens to dead bodies. Like rigor isn't forever. And like lividity is a thing. And they they decompose. That's what a body does. Right. Also, I don't love that he refers to a small child's dead body as pliable it's not my favorite no no not particularly (laughs) I don't like it (laughs) but yeah you get bruises when you decompose your blood pools Uh in your body it yeah like it's a thing and about as soon as like I was uh, angrily ranting this at his notes um the author of this article pipes up to say the symptoms the physician describes are common to corpses that are several days old yeah and that he mistook decomp for witchcraft right it's like how dumb do you have to fucking be look at a dead body and be like hmm it's rotting witchcraft (laughs) witchcraft (laughs) for real was it like the first one he ever did or are they supposed to be blue like that? <laughs> Just some random is Googling everything. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it cold? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> is it supposed to be cold? <laughs> you definitely had no familiarity with dead bodies at mm-hmm. all. And not dead bodies that had been dead for more than like an hour. Mm-hmm um this mistake however that he's mistaking decom for witchcraft is not known at the time and goodwife Ayers is formally accused but she flees town taking her husband with her but she leaves her kid behind hmm. i don't know why sorry tommy bye <laughs> sayonara we don't have room in the wagon for you right um, i guess you can become an indentured servant <laughs> he does get apprenticed out um eventually oh so they were just like well your apprenticeship starts early (laughs) (laughs) goodbye son (laughs) um i do believe that goodwife heirs gets accused again in the debacle i'm getting ready to talk about um because these two incidents kind of overlap in time Mm -hmm. um but that accusation goes nowhere because Goodwife has already vamoosed. She is nowhere to be found. <laughs> vamoosed is such a funny word. <laughs> What's funny is I typed it into my document and it didn't underline it. So it was it like, is, yep, checks it out. <laughs> it is formally recognized as a word and you can be. conjugate it and it doesn't care. Yeah. And just a side note uh, that I wrote for myself. Dozens of people were accused in Connecticut, but were not executed. So Mm. I want to say the accusations are closer to like 40, somewhere in there. And the executions sit closer to 11. So that's a lot of people people who were found innocent. And there are a lot of people who like uh, Good Wife Harris just 
ran the fuck away. <laughs> like, yeah, Sayonara, we're not living here anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good run. Um, we're gonna try out New York now. Right. <laughs> the big apple. <laughs> <laughs> um, this brings us to our final executions. In 1662, a young woman named Anne Cole is living with her father when she becomes, as far as anyone can discern, possessed. She has fits, seizures, speaks in tongues, and weirdest of all, sometimes she talks in a Dutch accent, but it's so authentic of an accent that it has to be the work of the devil. What the heck? Yeah, like, it's just doesn't sound like (laughs) she's putting on a Dutch accent. It sounds like she is Dutch. Um, That's just... That's magic. (laughs) I mean, that's magic right there, baby. Um, Sounds like she was having like brain issues. Yeah. Yeah. Some people said um, multiple personalities, schizophrenia, that kind of stuff. Can't you like... Maybe that she's just having fun (laughs) being an asshole. She's just in a silly, goofy mood. (laughs) Um, Talking like a Dutch boy um can't you like have a traumatic brain injury and then like speak a different language or like talk in a different accent like the language center of your brain is all fucked up I don't know maybe she has like her seizures are doing something I don't know yeah but at the same time like talking in a different accent like there's so many actors on tv that like I don't know their countries of origin half the time until I see them in an interview mm-hmm. um so accent coaches of or apparently doing like fucking Satan's bidding or something. <laughs> I well, I think that's what like people from that time period would think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely what they would think about it. Um, and I, again, this is another thing I would get executed for because uh, I walk around in talking and made up accents all right. the time. <laughs> Someone from their front porch just <laughs> <laughs> shoots you in the fucking head. <laughs> bitch was talking like a Frenchman in her kitchen. <laughs> right. Boom. <laughs> Dead. Anne eventually starts accusing people of being witches. Um, of course she does. Including two of her neighbors, Rebecca and Nathaniel Greensmith. Nathaniel has been convicted of, I think it was theft twice, and he was censured for lying once because lying is also against the law, just FYI. So that's another thing you would get in trouble for. For real. (laughs) Don't ever lie. Rebecca has been twice widowed and is documented to history as, quote, a lewd, ignorant, and considerably aged woman, end quote, and a letter to Increase Mather, which we know his name. Oh, yeah, we do. Um, she sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. Just the absolute joy. <laughs> a, um, fat, a fat old mean bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, pretty much. She ends up confessing to a number of things and throws her husband under the bus, earning their execution on January 25th, 1663. Um, I'm going to say January 25th. One of the books disagrees and says that that was a Sunday. So it can't have been that day. It was probably the 23rd. Hmm. Um, Their execution is followed on the same day by a Mary Barnes, one of the people Rebecca had also implicated. A lot of the other people that Rebecca implicated ran away or they were exonerated. Mm -hmm. 
These three are the last to be hanged in Connecticut because Governor Winthrop's son, Governor Winthrop Jr., mm. um, <laughs> mm-hmm. speaking of naming your kids after yourself, you got the <laughs> same fucking job. Um, he has been gone, but he returns to the area after, I believe, seeking a charter for Connecticut. Um, and his return stems the witch craze. Uh, he encourages skepticism regarding accusations of witchcraft and by 1669 helps establish that multiple witnesses need to simultaneously witness the same witchcraft act for whatever the supposed witch is being accused of to carry any weight. No more like, oh, I saw goody so-and-so do this this day. It's like, nope, it's gotta be like two or more people take it or leave it. Right. Like, it's bullshit. Um, After this, accusations dip, exonerations increase, and executions end. And to give a quote from Time magazine that made me laugh, quote, the witchcraft would technically remain a capital crime in Connecticut until the 18th century. The courts there were growing skeptical and weary of witchcraft trials. Too many of them, it seemed, were the result of personal feuds. Even an unsolicited confession was no longer sufficient. When a Connecticut man, Hugh, claimed that he had made a pact with the devil and practiced black magic against his fellow citizens, the court formally declared him an ignoramus in 1693 and set him free. Oh my God. Like a legal document calls you an ignoramus. I laughed so hard when I came across that. I'd been reading dry ass articles for days and then time just drops that bomb at the end of a fucking paragraph. That is so funny. And they're like, <laughs> you know, get out of here, dumbass. Any anytime somebody asks him, are you stupid? He's like, well, actually, I have the legal papers to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. Oh, there have been (laughs) multiple efforts over the years by individuals to um, who are seeking to clear their ancestors names and have them posthumously exonerated of their crimes. Mm. One of those individuals is a young woman seeking to clear Mary Sanford, who was executed as a witch for, I believe, dancing around a tree drinking liquor. Sounds like a fucking night. Yeah, um, which like, makes me believe that if we had been doing drunk tarot sessions back in like 1660 Connecticut, oh my god, for sure we would be dead. We would have been sniped, like from from like multiple angles at once. We would have been hung at the front of the town gate as like the example of what not to be. <laughs> Our heads on like spikes. Yeah. Yikes. Um, <laughs> So the victims that I have names for are as follows. Alice Young, Mary Johnson, Joan Carrington, Goodwife Bassett, Goodwife Knapp, Mary Sanford, Rebecca Greensmith, Mary Barnes, Lydia Gilbert, John Carrington, and Nathaniel Greensmith. And those are some of the stories of the witches of Connecticut. Ooh, that was good. Um, My favorite part was obviously the ignoramus part. It's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Um, but just the idea of like, oh, 
<laughs> fresh start from England, starting over new. And then they come and they do like even worse shit to each other. It's just like, why did y'all come? <laughs> like, it was brutal back in England. It's brutal in New England. It's just always been bad. I, we very much like Lord of the Flies, the beginning of this country. That's oh, yeah. that's what we did. And they sat us over here and they're like, make a new thing. And we're like, we'll make your thing, but worse. Yeah, exactly what we were not supposed to do. Yes. Um, <laughs> like, hmm, let's escape religious persecution by going over here and making a bunch of laws that persecute anybody for not <laughs> believing what we do. Right. Let's escape persecution by creating persecution. That's what we'll do. And then we'll all think the same thing and it'll be perfect. <laughs> I guess that kind of is what it is about, though. Like, that's how you escape, like, punishments for things is you just transfer it. Yes. <laughs> or do a switcheroo, um, which is kind of what I'm going to talk about at the beginning of mine, at least. I think we do have some similarities, probably not as many as we could have if I had done like a little more research. No, I'm sure that we do because uh, <laughs> like the whole escaping everything, I didn't read a bunch into Thomas Hooker, but I know that the only reason he went off and started Connecticut is because he didn't like who he was chilling with. He was like, mm, peace, we're going to go do our own thing. <laughs> Bye. Right. Yeah. Thomas the Tart. <laughs> Thomas the Tart <laughs> reminds me of Thomas the Tank Engine. I know. I keep wanting to add a two-syllable word at the end of it. Thomas the Tart something. I don't know. I'll think of it. Um, I had a tough choice to make this week. I knew that I wasn't gonna find much Catholic stuff in the exact um, time and place of your story. There just just weren't that many Catholic immigrants um, in that wave. Um, I know that as I was reading, they're like, we don't like the Catholics, anti-Catholic this, and let's get rid of them, and they're not welcome here, and it's like, ooh. (laughs) Yeah, they're not welcome. (laughs) Um, So obviously there were catholics in america just they didn't want to go to the 13 colonies that would not have been the place for them so like there were missionaries in quebec Mm -hmm. and um, michigan and wisconsin illinois um and then spanish ones further south and west um but it's not till like the 19th century that we get the huge wave of Catholic immigrants um, that everybody hates, <laughs> um, <laughs> aka my family members. <laughs> um, so I was like, hmm, I could talk about, because you had mentioned influenza as a possible theme. So I was like, well, mm-hmm. I could talk about an outbreak of it somewhere else. I could talk about the patron saint of illness. I could talk about the patron saint of immigrants. But I decided I would rather talk about something going on in England um, just a few decades before your story takes place um, that I've been kind of dying to talk about, which is the gunpowder plot. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And we've <laughs> vaguely touched on that before when we were t- 
talking about our buddy james our buddy i've gestured vaguely at it before (laughs) on the show um so i will not talk about a saint today these men are not saints (laughs) they're far from saints um but they are really fun to read about um so Oh, As- you're not where I'm from. Um, I went to school with a guy who's related to one of the mm. dudes from the gunpowder plot. Which one? Uh, uh, the Bates. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about him. I don't know why I assumed that I had grown up with you my entire <laughs> life. And of course, you already knew this. Sometimes I forget <laughs> like where I met people because they've like been around for so long in my mm-hmm. life that I'm just like well you you know everything about no. me yeah right you get it um yes we will get to Bates we will talk about Bates um so just for context uh the gunpowder plot was an attempt by a group of radical English Catholics to blow up the House of Lords on November 5th 1605 um So what the heck? Like, why? How did we get here? Who was involved? What actually happened? I will tell you everything. Well, I will tell you as much as I had time to research. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If we wanted to start at the very beginning, we would have to go all the way back to Henry VIII, but we've talked about him, I think, enough already, Um, especially in episode 15. Um, And then, of course, we know that Henry and Anne Boleyn's daughter was the Protestant Queen Elizabeth I, who introduced the Elizabethan religious settlement, which sounds so nice and peaceful and fun, a settlement. Oh, we came to an agreement. Um, No, (laughs) it was not an agreement between the Catholics and the Protestants. It was um, Queen Elizabeth telling everybody that... um, they were now legally required to swear allegiance to the English monarch as head of church and state. Um, And the punishments for refusal to do this, which was also known as recusancy, included fines, imprisonment, and execution. Queen Elizabeth, as we know, was the virgin queen. She refused to marry or name an heir. Her cousin, Mary, Queen of Scots, was a legitimate heir to the English throne, but she was Catholic and executed for treason. So it was her son, the Protestant James VI of Scotland, who succeeded Elizabeth to become James I of England. Um, Our favorite little guy. So again, this is mostly stuff we've heard before as I kind of segue into today's story, but just a refresher. Um, King James was a bit more moderate than his predecessors in his treatment of Catholics. Um, Not of witches. (laughs) Not of witches. He did not go easy on the witches. Uh, He generally preferred exile to imprisonment, torture, and execution. Some English Catholics even held out hope that he would eventually convert to Catholicism because of his mother's quote-unquote martyrdom for her faith and because um his wife queen anne of denmark may have been catholic if not in name then at least in some of her beliefs but also 
he was just plain scared of being assassinated by Catholics, mm-hmm. um, which was not an irrational fear for him to have. It was a fair fear for him to have. Um, Protestant rulers were targeted all over Europe, not just in England. Um, the French king, Henry III, had been stabbed to death by a Catholic assassin in 1589. Not very Catholic of him. <laughs> <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, well, yeah, we see kind of a a dangerous, uh, well, let me just finish this paragraph. We'll get to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the assassination of King Henry III of France was like explicitly justified in publications by Jesuit priests in France. So like it was justified so much that many Catholics believed that regicide was an acceptable way to remove tyrants from power. Like basically the idea of like, oh, rules don't apply to heretics. So like, we don't have to treat them the same way we would. Um, that's a dangerous game, double <laughs> A. <laughs> yes. Um, Oh, no, not making people subhuman because they have different beliefs. <laughs> oh, gee, I wonder what that feels like. What could go wrong? <laughs> exactly. It's horrible. Um, yeah, don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, <laughs> slippery slope. Not advocating for that logic. Um, and so there had been early plots to assassinate King James. Um, the gunpowder plot was not the first attempt. Um, there was the main plot. There was the by plot, both unsuccessful. I didn't read too much about them because I was just like, I'll just, na- I'll just name them and then my work is done. Um, <laughs> so, but King James has sort of retained his moderate policies through those plots but the last straw apparently is when queen anne receives a rosary as a gift from um a jesuit priest who was uh like delivering it to her from the pope as a gift um when james finds out about this he denounces the catholic church publicly he orders all the priests to leave the country and he reinstitutes the recusancy fines, which had been sort of like neglected. Like it was a law, but he wasn't enforcing it. Nobody really cared about it, but he ramps everything back up. Um, and they ended up collecting the equivalent of 12 million pounds a year in recusancy fines in the country. So like, to me, the idea of this present from the Pope given to James's wife being the last straw. I assume it's like two main things. Like one, I think it made her a target and he was like, oh, it's not just about me anymore. It's not just attempts on my life. Like she's playing some kind of weird role in it and she's going to be targeted. And then number two, I think it was probably really embarrassing for him. Like he knew it was time to stop being like wishy-washy. It's like, well, your own wife is not following the laws that you're not even enforcing. So like, what's going on, buddy? You can't control your own wife. Like, I think that was part of it. Yeah. It also seems, I don't know, kind of disrespectful, I guess. Um, 
Could you imagine if I went up to any of my Christian grandparents and I'm like, here, a pentagram for you. (laughs) Ah, for you, madam. Yeah. It's like, hmm, hmm, interesting. The Pope is literally like sliding into her DMs. (laughs) (laughs) This line of communication is open. Um, And James is not a fan of it. Um, so let's get into the plot. Um, first of all, about 90% of the information I'm going to tell you about the details, uh, were given by the conspirators contemporaries or the conspirators themselves under interrogation, torture, and threat of execution. Oh, by James the (laughs) first? No way. Uh, cause he's the dude who like rips off people's fingernails and fucking shoves needles up to the head of the pin. Like, oh yeah. He's sadistic. He's he is a sadistic psychopath. Yes. So I'm, I'm sure that we definitely got their confessions, but I am worried about the, what's in those confessions the he was in charge of them. Exactly. And that's the way we should be thinking about the information, but like we do have like the sources do corroborate a lot of Mm -hmm. the time um and there are so many people involved that 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 makes me trust them more but we do have to be like a little bit like oh um yeah. Oh, dude, I definitely would not have kept my mouth shut if somebody's like, I'm going to rip off all your fucking fingernails. I'm like, whose names do you want? I what do you want to know? Immediately, I tell them literally everything about my entire life. I don't even like these people. <laughs> like, I fucking hate these jokers. They're ignoramuses. <laughs> so that seems like a no-brainer to me, but just to keep in mind. Um, so here are our first three and sort of like main conspirators involved in the plot. More people will be folded in later, but these are like the OG big names. Um, Robert Catesby was the heir of Sir William Catesby of Warwickshire. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, the Catesbys were a prominent recusant Catholic family. Robert's father, William, had spent years in prison for recusancy and for harboring Jesuit priests. His mother's side were also recusants, and many of them were imprisoned as well. One was even executed. So this is a man with a lot of anger. Um, He, Robert, was very well educated. His friends described him as, quote, a good-looking man, about six feet tall, athletic, and a good swordsman. Um, that's his hinge profile. <laughs> He's a good swordsman. If you know what I mean, ladies. <laughs> um, Men. <laughs> anybody. But I do think he had like cult leader charisma based on the way that um, some of them talk about him. Um, and I'm he's, sure. yeah, he is the leader of the group. So he married a wealthy Protestant named Catherine Lee and seemed to be sort of like content with the cover that she provided for him. Like their kids were baptized in the Church of England. Everything was cool. Um, But after Catherine's death, he went fully off the deep end. He became a radical zealot, like hardcore. Um, In 1601, he participated in the unsuccessful Essex Rebellion against Queen Elizabeth. So he's the original mastermind, very important. Um, Next, we have Robert Catesby's cousin, Thomas Winter. This is 
in a lot of ways a family affair lots of these guys are related distant cousins they're all sort of like that um like like a big sprawling like noble family of the time um rich related white guys exactly um not all of them are related but like 75 percent are in some way or another by marriage or blood um so we have robert catesby's cousin thomas winter Thomas was very intelligent, uh, fluent in many languages. I forget how many, but I obviously like English, French, Spanish. Um, he trained as a lawyer, but had decided to become a soldier instead. And he traveled frequently to the continent to have audiences with Catholic monarchs and try to basically get them on the side of the English Catholics. Um, So Thomas Winter becomes the emissary of the group of conspirators and is involved from the beginning. In February of 1604, Robert Catesby and Thomas Winter met at Catesby's house in Lambeth to discuss Catesby's plan to blow up the House of Lords. Thomas Winter was on board. Again, this guy, all these guys are educated, they're intelligent, and someone, some rando, their weird cousin who's grieving the death of his wife, like, like publicly, basically, just comes up and is like, hey, let's blow up the House of Lords. Like, he must have been really convincing because everybody just got on board. (laughs) I don't know what I would do if I had gone over to any party with you guys. And somebody got like really drunk was like, you know what we should do? We should commit domestic terrorism. yikes our microphones and our phones are like screaming right now yeah you try to laugh it off a little bit and he's like no (laughs) seriously (laughs) we should do it it's like "Mm, i kind of want to go home (laughs) (laughs) yeah i kind of want to take a nap instead yeah yikes but these guys were ride or die so (laughs) for sure (laughs) um yes uh funny you should say that Um, so they discussed the plan. Thomas is on board. When Thomas was a teenager, his uncle had been executed for being a Catholic priest. So again, it's like family trauma and anger that is binding this group together um, and cult leader charisma. Um, later in 1604, on one of Thomas Winter's trips to Flanders, he met a man named Guy Fox. Um, Fox was an English soldier born in Yorkshire into a solid middle-class family. He had left England to fight for Catholic Spain in the 80 years war, which is why he was on the continent when he met Winter. Basically, Winter heard about Guy Fox's um, talent with explosives and offered him a very exciting opportunity to be part of his boss babe empire um and together the beginning of a heist movie where they're recruiting people yes it's very much giving oceans 11 Mm. if oceans 11 ended in complete tragedy (laughs) (laughs) and they were all catholic (laughs) and they were all catholic yes exactly (laughs) um yeah and then i wrote and together the three of them would girl boss far too close to the sun <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, our other two main conspirators are John Wright and Thomas Percy. 
unfortunately all their names are similar um they all sound the exact same to me um so I had to try and distinguish them John Wright had been involved in the Essex Rebellion with Robert Catesby I think even they had been in prison together afterwards so they already had that cute little trauma bond this is my old prison pal (laughs) my old prison buddy exactly John Wright was sort of considered to be the best English swordsman, swordsman of <laughs> swords, swordsman. Just look, I, I'm sounding it out. Swordsman. Um, he was like the best English swordsman of the day. Um, so I pictured him as Inigo Montoya. That's just how he appears in my head. I can see um, yeah, Thomas Percy was John Wright's brother-in-law. Percy was folded into the plan because he was in the employment of the Earl of Northumberland, whose name is Henry Percy, just to confuse you <laughs> further. Um, and Thomas Percy often served as the Earl's agent in communication with King James. So this was a guy that they definitely wanted on their side. He's got the inside scoop. He can relay messages and make them say whatever the group wants them to say he can throw off the trail i don't know this is like oceans 11 i know inside man and all kinds of shit (laughs) except they're really committing atrocities (laughs) (laughs) i definitely want this as an action movie with all of the tropes for sure Oh my God, that would be so fun. Like not a super historically accurate version No, 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 no. I want a tropey action version of A this. comedy, like a buddy yes. comedy, an ensemble mm-hmm. cast, yes. Oh my God, that would be so fun. The real story is, <laughs> it's fun, but I wouldn't call it funny. <laughs> um, yeah. So these five conspirators, Robert Catesby, Thomas Winter, Guy Fawkes, John Wright, and Thomas Percy, all met together for the first time on May 20th, 1604, at the Duck and Drake Inn near the Strand in London, which Wikipedia told me was Thomas Winter's favorite place to stay when he was in London. Um. (laughs) He just picked a place super connected to him. <laughs> right. That where should we be? My, fa- my, my favorite place where everyone will recognize me. <laughs> where everyone knows me and listens to every word I say. Um, I imagine him being like, you guys, it would be so cool if we could meet up at the Duck and Drake. Like, their shepherd's pie is fire. <laughs> like, their hot, dirty wine is so good. We will have the best time. Um, No, they weren't like hanging downstairs at the pub. Like they were in a private room. They were just like getting drunk and openly ranting about it, which was Could you imagine he's still a regular? Be like, he showed up and him (laughs) and a bunch of weird men went to a back room and stayed there for a while. Right. One of them was really, really shifty and was like wearing a weird hat and had a weird like accent. I don't know. They were looking Um, around. (laughs) Right. Um, One of them looked exactly like Mandy Patinkin. (laughs) like dead ringer <laughs> who's Mandy Patinkin? can you ask um <laughs> right. um not important now I know that this is the whole subplot of like time travel <laughs> this is getting out of hand um sprawling now I have to work that back in somewhere before the end of the story that'll be fun um 
yeah so they eat shepherd's pie they drink some hot dirty wine and then in a private room at the inn the five men discussed their plan in the february of the following year on the night of the state opening of parliament in the house of lords at westminster westminster palace westminster palace they would use gunpowder to blow up the house of lords and kill king james all the lords and a bunch of the clergy of the church of england this spectacle would be sort of a glorious prelude to a wide-scale rebellion in the Midlands of England, during which King James's daughter, Princess Elizabeth, would be kidnapped, and later she would be installed on the throne as a Catholic monarch. <laughs> no holes in this plot at all. Are they just going to, like, brainwash her? Not sure what the plan was. Do they know how to take care of a human being? They are men, so I assume <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so I was going to talk about this later, but since you bring it up, I think maybe the plan was um, to actually get um, Thomas Percy's employer, the Earl, to um, like get him involved in the plot after it had already happened and give him Princess Elizabeth, because he was kind of a secret recusant Catholic as well. Here's so a they're kidnapped like, little girl. <laughs> Take <right>. her. Bye. <laughs> um, exactly. Like, seriously, no problems with their logic or their planning or anything at all. Um, anyway, that's their plan. After discussing, they took an oath of secrecy. By a random coincidence, a Catholic priest named Father Gerard was celebrating Mass in the next room over, so the men all received the Eucharist as part of their oath, which is actually a very cute thing to do. But he's also, why am I doing this? <laughs> he's like, um, buddy of Christ. I'm in a weird room in an inn, don't doing like, this for a bunch of dudes. Don't like the vibe, body of Christ. You're all being really serious <laughs> right now. Right. Um, yeah, that was awkward. Um, okay, so cut to June 9th, Thomas Percy's patron, the Earl of North Umber um the Earl of Northumberland, appointed Thomas to the Honorable Corps of Gentlemen at Arms, um, which was a troop of 50 bodyguards to the king. Um this role gave Thomas Percy a reason to buy property in London, since he was there so often guarding the king. So Guy Fawkes, under the pseudonym John Johnson, took charge of the building that Thomas Percy rented, and he was sort of posing as Percy's servant. His, his fake name was John Johnson. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yes, I see your point. I hear you. Vague Vagerson. <laughs> um, yeah, he went so far in the direction, in the opposite direction of his name, that he made it worse than just using his real name. Definitely not made <laughs> His totally real name. His totally real, like, ID card that he wrote in crayon. I like to think that he was just quizzed on the spot. What's your name? John. John. And your last name? John. Johnson. Son of John. 
my father was John, and so I am John as well. And, and his dad was also John. It's a family name. <laughs> it's a family name. My sisters are all named John. <laughs> Don't look us up. Madilly is just thinking, shut the fuck up, guy. <laughs> but he keeps on talking. Keeps <laughs> word vomiting. <laughs> yeah, John Johnson. That's what he's sticking with. So he poses as Thomas Percy's servant at the building, and the building was right across the river, right across the Thames from the House of Lords. So gunpowder could easily be transported back and forth across the river in like the middle of the night. Um, Meanwhile, King James continued with his policies, his anti-Catholic policies, and Parliament was pushing through anti-Catholic legislation until its adjournment on July 7th. Everybody, all the conspirators returned to London in October 1604, and it was at this time that they admitted a man named Robert Keyes to the group. Um, Robert Keyes was not having a good time. He was indebted, I assume, from paying, like, recusancy fines. These guys, they all came from money, but, like, most of them have had to pay these fines for so long or had been in prison and had, like, their assets, like, seized or or had to sell their estates to pay for stuff. So they have the attitude <laughs> that they're rich, but they're not anymore. So um, and new poor. New poor, and they don't like it (laughs) um and I think that's a lot of the anger about it too and I mean like I kind of get it like your ancestral family home is just auctioned off for something as random as like oh there's a new king and we're not allowed to live the same way we used to live anymore like that kind of sucks um Anyway, Robert Keyes' role was to help Guy Fawkes with the storage and transport of the gunpowder. In December of that year, Robert Catesby recruited his servant, Thomas Bates, into the plot um, after Bates accidentally became aware of it. (laughs) Well, so much for that swearing to secrecy that they did. Yeah, I don't know how he became aware of it. I don't know if he was like eavesdropping or like he read a letter or something, but. He walked um, in the room. There's a bunch of box schematics <laughs> on the table. <laughs> he just, just slowly backs out. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 no. Grab him. Get him. Yeah. <laughs> You're part of this now. He's like, fuck, I'm going to learn to knock. Yeah. Learn to knock. Don't go snooping around your creepy employer's house um when you know he's not up to anything good so okay so on christmas eve of 1604 it was announced that the reopening of parliament would be delayed it wasn't going to be in february anymore it was going to move um due to an epidemic of black plague in london um so instead of sitting in february they would be adjourned until october 3rd 1605 um it's a long time it's a long time yeah but um once the plague swept through (laughs) they would be good (laughs) because it would kill everybody (laughs) then it would die out and then it would come back again next year it's just it was a whole thing um so the prosecution later would claim that during this first delay the conspirators were building a tunnel underneath parliament 
And that's what I always thought happened. Like, that's an idea that I had in my brain about this because I think the movie V for Vendetta misled me because there's like this little flashback of Guy Fox like wheeling gunpowder on this like wheelbarrow in this creepy tunnel. Um, but the tunnel has never been found and it would have been really difficult to actually build a tunnel and unnecessary, like completely unnecessary. Um, so, and again, this is something that came directly from a torture confession. So he's like, no, a tunnel. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You'll never find out. (laughs) Please don't rip my dick off. (laughs) Why do I want that to be the title? (laughs) Please don't rip my dick off. I mean, it's catchy. It is. Um, (laughs) um, By the time the conspirators reconvened on March 25th, they had added three more men to the plot. So this is how you know things are out of hand. Like, it's too many people. Five, maybe. Three would be perfect. Five, maybe. Eight, it's too many. It's like Ocean's Eleven, unrealistic. (laughs) Five really good friends. Take it or leave it. Well, because that never would have worked in real life. Like, they they wouldn't have gotten along there would have been secrets like it it just wouldn't have worked they were women they just would have talked about each other behind each other's backs (laughs) passive aggressively yeah for sure um so they have three more guys now um there was robert winter who was thomas winter's brother there was john grant who was the winter brothers's brother-in-law um, and then there was Christopher Wright, who was John Wright or Inigo Montoya's brother. So everybody's related, except Guy Fox. He's kind of the outlier. <laughs> He's just chilling. He's just jo- the- you mean John Johnson. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse me, excuse me. John Johnson <laughs> is the outlier. Um, so Robert Winter was admitted because he was rich. Um, he was he still had a small fortune that he hadn't spent and because he owned Huddington Court which was a mansion that was used as a refuge for priests Um, Christopher Wright and John Grant had both taken part in the Essex Rebellion and both also owned properties that could be used as safe houses so at this meeting on March 25th the conspirators purchased the lease to the Undercroft below the House of Lords in the early 17th century, because I have to explain, because it seems like, why would you be able to buy that? <laughs> like, why would you be able to buy the basement of, like, Congress? The White House. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> why would that ever be something? Oh, where are you leasing? <laughs> Just the, the bottom floor of the I live in. I live in the apartment above the White House garage. Like, the, like why? It seems so dumb, like such a bad idea. And it was. Um, And they're quickly like, we are never losing (laughs) that space ever again. Right. So. (laughs) Terrible tenants. Zero. (laughs) Terrible tenants. Very loud. (laughs) (laughs) Did not respect quiet hours. Um, Yeah. So. In the early 17th century, the Palace of Westminster, which included the House of Lords, I couldn't really visualize it. So I'm going to, I found a map and I'm going to post it on Instagram. But the palace was not just one big building. It was a cluster 
of tons of different buildings. Um, so like there were medieval chambers and chapels. There were like halls of the former royal palace. It was like really sprawling. Um, the old palace housed like um, shops, lawyers' offices, even like taverns, um, and was easily accessible to the public. So the undercroft in the building that the conspirators rented was sitting at a right angle to the House of Lords along a passageway called Parliament Place, which led to the Parliament Stairs and to the River Thames. So it was like exactly where they wanted to be. Um, it was abandoned and filthy, like nobody had been there in decades. It was probably part of a medieval kitchen. Um, so in the second week of June, Catesby met in London the principal Jesuit in England, whose name was Father Henry Garnet or Garnet. I'm not sure. It's sometimes it's spelled with one T, sometimes two. So I don't know. Um, and Catesby asked him <laughs> very cryptically about the morality of entering into an undertaking which might involve the destruction of the innocent together with the guilty. Garnet. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Uh, if someone, not me, were to commit something <laughs> like per se domestic terrorism and people died. Um, <laughs> what's the <thoughts>? dealio? <laughs> what's the dealio? Thoughts, feelings, feedback. Um, so yeah, Garnet is like, what are you talking about, first of all? But second of all, I don't want to know. He says that such actions could often be excused, but he warned Catesby that the Pope would never advocate for violent rebellion, and in fact that the Pope had expressly forbidden it. Um, so soon after their meeting, um, the Jesuit priest Oswald Tesimond, which A plus name, perfect, um, told Father Garnett that he had taken Catesby's confession, during which he had learned of the plot. So Catesby went ahead and told the other Jesuit priests all the details in confession. Garnett decided that since he had learned of the plot under the seal of the confessional, that canon law forbade him to repeat what he had heard. He did further attempt to dissuade Robert Catesby, even writing to colleagues in Rome about his concerns about open rebellion in England. In one letter he wrote, quote, there is a risk that some private endeavor may commit treason or use force against the king. That wasn't enough for intervention, apparently. Like, I'm not saying names, <laughs> wink, and not specifically <laughs> saying this will happen, but... <laughs> but... Yeah. Please read between the lines. <laughs> exactly. And they didn't. <laughs> He's sitting there like writing those <clears throat> passages, especially dark. <laughs> right. Underlining Please. and then erasing it. <laughs> um, on July 28th, it was announced that plague would again delay the state opening until the night of November 5th. Guy Fox went on vacation <laughs> during the second delay. Um, he left the country. I don't know what he did. Just said he left the country. Um, King James also went on vacation. He spent most of the summer away from the city. Father Garnett kind of like exhaled 
Um, he felt relieved that the plot apparently had fallen through and he also went on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now for a jaunt. <laughs> I hear the duck and drink is lovely shepherd's pie. <laughs> Some great back rooms. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Spacious. Um... <laughs> When the conspirators returned to London after the summer, they discovered that the gunpowder in the Undercroft had decayed, which is like typical, typical men. <laughs> um, it had just been sitting there all summer in like a dark dungeon, um, and they hadn't even considered the possibility. So they just brought in more, and they concealed it with firewood. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good idea i'm just saying that they did it <laughs> um then october rolled around getting down to the wire and they put together the details of the final plan here's what we're gonna do fox is gonna light the fuse and then he's gonna <laughs> vamoose out of there um and he's gonna escape across the thames um meanwhile a revolt in the midlands would ensure the capture of elizabeth they would have um a hunting party quote unquote hunting party um waiting to capture her and then fox would go to the continent and he would just explain real nicely why the rebellion happened to the european catholic leaders who would embrace them and everything would be kosher um at this point the wives of the conspirators had become increasingly concerned um i think it was kind of like when your husband says that he wants to like stand on stilts to like clean the gutters in like the middle of winter when it's really icy like it's obviously a terrible dangerous idea but you just assume that he's going to realize it before he hurts himself um because you're like picking your battles, but then he just doesn't realize it. <laughs> um, so like they... their doubts maybe started whenever the gunpowder decayed, and they're like, mm, "These dumbasses don't know what they're doing. <laughs> they don't even know how to store gunpowder. How are they going to blow up the palace?" Like they're like, "Well, I'm going to jail." <laughs> <laughs> yeah not good it reminds me of that tiktok audio that's your i'm gonna stand beside him <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is oh my god so they were worried um not only for their husband's safety but for the safety of like fellow catholics who they knew would be in parliament at the time of the explosion like they're like you guys realize there's like a bunch of lords who are secret catholics who like are our parents friends who they grew up with like this is not good um thomas percy was also concerned for his earl robert catesby suggested that maybe a minor wound or maybe an illness could keep the earl at home that day um like already things are they're making like little caveats oh, just everywhere slightly maim somebody <laughs> just cut off his finger and he'll stay home um yeah it's not a good plan um, they're quickly realizing that they are going to murder people yes um, and they're coming... like hmm, that's there's a lot of 
a lot of bad we could do with that a lot of implications of just murdering people right blanket murdering yeah. people it is dawning on them what they're about to do i think um at this point the final conspirator is added to the group um just throw one more in um can't hurt <laughs> um this is a man named francis tresham he was another of robert catesby's cousins um and was friends with john and christopher wright um he was a bit of a scumbag um, he liked to throw daddy's money around. That was his favorite. Um, he had also spent time in prison for assaulting a man and his pregnant wife. Just an all around good guy. <laughs> Just the kind of glue you need to <laughs> hold this situation together. Fully unhinged psychopath. <laughs> Just to really tie up all the loose ends. <laughs> This will calm everybody down. Exactly. This will center us. This will center us. Oh, this fucking psycho alcoholic weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was, he's the Chad of the group for sure. Um, the only reason Catesby, actually more of a Kyle than a Chad. Um, the only reason Catesby recruited him was money. They were very low on money. They spent all of it on gunpowder. <laughs> um, Men can't budget. <laughs> no, there was no budget. It was not in the plans. There was a lot of shepherd's pie consumed, and the budget went right out the window. They're like, so what are the expenses of this? Like, gunpowder is the only thing on the list. <laughs> They don't budget for anything else like food Not or food, travel. Housing, nothing. Just Only gunpowder on their grocery list. <laughs> and their wives again in the background are just shaking their heads. Just like, They've never made a grocery list in their lives. Stand by him. Stand by your man. Um, so Francis Tresham's involvement most likely doomed the plan. I mean, it wasn't going great before, but he put the final nail in the coffin. Um, it's a little complicated. It's not completely clear, but I'll tell you, and then you can decide what you think about what happened. So on October 26th, William Parker, the Lord Monteagle, and Francis Tresham's brother-in-law was dining at his estate when his servant handed him an urgent letter that he had received from a stranger in the road. Um, so the Lord Monteagle ordered the letter to be read aloud, and it said, quote, My Lord, out of the love I bear to some of your friends, I have a care of your preservation. Therefore, I would advise you, as you tender your life, to devise some excuse to shift your attendance at this parliament. For God and man hath concurred to punish the wickedness of this time. And think not slightly of this advertisement, but retire yourself into your country where you may expect the event in safety. For though there be no appearance of any stir, yet I say they shall receive a terrible blow this parliament, and yet they shall not see who hurts them. This counsel is not to be condemned because it may do you good and can do you no harm for the danger is past as soon as you have burnt the letter. And I hope God will give you the grace to make good use of it to whose holy protection I commend you. So it's never been proven that Francis Tresham wrote that letter, but he- Considering the dumbass did not preface it with 
please do not read this aloud. <laughs> please do or not. Or yeah. in a room with anybody else. <laughs> right. Um, and it's his brother-in-law. Like, his mm-hmm. wife, like, his sister was probably like, hey, maybe don't murder my husband. Or, like, I don't know. I, it, it makes or I'll never sense. talk to you at Christmas <laughs> never ever see, again. Get no Christmas gifts out of me. <laughs> um, yeah. So to me, that makes the most sense. Why would anybody else send a letter to that guy in particular? Um, <laughs> the Lord Monteagle did not burn the letter, as he was told to do, but instead rode immediately to Whitehall and showed the letter to two earls who were suspected to be secret Catholics, or at least had recusant sympathies. One of those earls' servants then told Robert Catesby about the letter, and Catesby and Thomas Winter immediately blamed Francis Tresham. They confronted him. They threatened him. But Tresham managed to convince everyone that he did not write the letter. Um, so they didn't kill him, but they wanted it to. Was, it was clearly Mandy Patinkin who wrote the letter. <laughs> <laughs> Again, who is that guy that you keep talking about? He keeps making Princess Bride references. Um, he So he managed to convince, no, it wasn't me, but he did encourage them to abandon the plot. They did not abandon the plot. Um, On November 1st, King James returned to England where he read the letter. Upon reading it, he immediately fixated on the word blow and felt that it hinted at, quote, some stratagem of fire and powder, unquote. Um, This hit close to home to him because his father had been killed in in an explosion So he did take it seriously, and he ordered the Lord Chamberlain to conduct a thorough search of Westminster the following Monday. On Sunday, November 3rd, Percy, Catesby, and Winter had a final meeting where Percy told his colleagues that they should, quote, abide the uttermost trial and reminded them of their ship waiting on the Thames, their escape plan. Everything was in place. A hunting party was waiting to abduct Elizabeth near where she was staying in Dunchurch. The same day, Percy visited his Earl to try to learn if he had heard about the Monteagle letter. Um, When he returned to London, he assured everybody that everything was Gucci. Um, He hadn't heard about the letter. Things were fine. Um, That same evening, Catesby, John Wright, and Thomas Bates set off for the Midlands. Guy Fox was given a pocket watch by Thomas Percy to time the fuse, and then they all kind of split up and left Guy alone in the Undercroft with all the gunpowder. Um, on Monday, November 4th, while the co-conspirators conspirators were making these final preparations, the Lord Chamberlain was searching Westminster Palace. The search party found a large pile of firewood in the undercroft beneath the House of Lords, accompanied by a man they assumed was a, they assumed was a servant who told them his name was John Johnson, <laughs> um, and that the firewood belonged to his master Thomas Percy, whom he went ahead and named. <laughs> what a fucking bitch! He's he really just has to be bad at names at that point. Who's your master's name? Thomas Percy. Thomas fuck, Percy. I was supposed to lie. <laughs> fuck, Guy Fox. I mean, fuck. What's my name again? John Johnson. Not that one. He's a, He has a different one. Um, 
yeah he just goes ahead and name oh yeah my master is thomas percy it's like okay um percy's name was not a good name to mention he could have <laughs> said a different name um that would have been better he percy was a well-known catholic agitator so of course when the findings were reported to the king he ordered a more thorough search because they had only found firewood but he's like something's wrong Late that night, the search party returned to the Undercroft and again found Fox dressed in a cloak and hat and wearing boots and spurs, like dressed for travel. Um, he was arrested. He said his name was John Johnson. Um, a search revealed a pocket watch, several slow matches, and some kindling. 36 barrels of gunpowder were discovered hidden beneath the firewood. That would have... It's it like, said, those are my masters. <laughs> those Tom, Thomas Percy. <laughs> <laughs> He's not here. He can't come to the phone, but he wasn't gonna do anything with them. He just has a lot of guns. He just doesn't know where to where else to put the powder except in, in fact, if you look, most of it's decayed. <laughs> it was stored improperly. <laughs> By me, his serpent. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like what? Um, so 36 barrels, um, Wikipedia said that that would have been enough to reduce the entire building to rubble. So like that was an excessive amount. <laughs> that was a lot of gunpowder. <laughs> yes. A crazy amount. How did they um, buy that much gunpowder? Nobody thinking that was weird. They're like, weren't you in here yesterday? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. Let's see your gunpowder again. <laughs> Take me to the gunpowder. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know if maybe they like made separate trips or like different people bought at different times. That's what I would assume. Um, cause yeah, that would be rather suspicious. <laughs> you want how many barrels of gunpowder? <laughs> 36. Why 36? Uh, 37 if you have them. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so Guy Fox, John Johnson was taken to King James early on the morning of November 5th. And word spread very quickly about this arrest. Most of the conspirators who were still in London fled northwest, um, six of them meeting up along the way and eventually ending up in Warwick, which is about 100 miles northwest of London. So they covered a ton of ground very quickly. Um, I felt bad for the horses in this story. Mm -hmm. um, so this is where everyone was. Christopher Wright and Thomas Percy left London together with Robert Keyes following shortly behind. I think they ditched him. Um, <laughs> he was really trying to catch up. Um, the three of them met up with Robert Catesby, John Wright, and Thomas Bates, and the group of six continued to Dunchurch, where they met their hunting party that was waiting for Elizabeth. Um, meanwhile, back in London, I'm going to say meanwhile about 25 times in very quick succession. Um, so just pretend you don't hear it. <laughs> That'd be excellent. Um, meanwhile, back in London, the news was spreading like wildfire, no pun intended. Um, Thomas Winter had stayed behind and had even gone over to Westminster to see what was happening. Um, but when the authorities multiplied and shit got crazy, he also went north. The authorities closed the city gates, they set extra guards at them, and they closed the ports, and an arrest warrant was issued for Thomas Percy, and his patron, the Earl, was placed under house arrest. 
His patron is like, what in the fuck have you been <laughs> up in to? the actual fuck? Imagine this guy who you're like, I really like you. I'm going to give you so many promotions and like treat you like my son. Oh, I'm on house arrest because you guys are trying to blow shit up. It's a well, joke. Goes to show you. <laughs> <laughs> He's like super like weirdly calm about it. Well, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> Um, meanwhile, Guy Fox was being interrogated. In his initial interrogation, he revealed nothing except his mother's name and that he was from Yorkshire. A letter was found on him that was addressed to a Guy Fox. Um, <laughs> he's like, I don't know that man. <laughs> but he responds when they call it. They have the letter that Ooh, Guy, Guy Fox. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like no wait who (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's embarrassingly bad um so the letter's addressed to guy fox he's like no that's not my name it's one of my aliases my real name is john johnson guy fox is my fake name um but he did not deny his intentions. He he knew he was caught. He knew he was he had gunpowder. He should not have been there. He said, "Yeah, I I was in there to assassinate King James and the Lords. I was going to blow them all up." Um, but he would not give up any of his accomplices. Um, he was very firm that he had acted alone. Like, do you not think I'm that smart? I think I'm pretty smart. I could have done it by myself if I wanted to. I'll do it right now. Um, I'll blow you all up too. Um, Yeah. So on November 6th, the servants of this guy named Ambrose Rookwood, who was a very late recruit to the plot and sort of like a more minor character in it, Um, His servants were detained and questioned by the Lord Chief Justice, who managed to get the servants to disclose the identities of some of Fox's co-conspirators, including Catesby. Um, Meanwhile, Guy Fox stuck to his story until finally the Chief Justice decided that he should be moved to the Tower of London to be tortured. Um, King James ordered that the torture should be gentle at first, a little tickle perhaps um and that should it should only increase in brutality if necessary but that um they should try to get it over with as quickly as possible um i think he was trying to stick to his sort of persona that he had tried to craft as like oh i'm i'm a nice guy catholics are okay um but um like he couldn't keep it up if catholics are doing stuff like this Um, So I think he was a little confused. Um, Fox was shackled and hung from the wall at first, um, but wouldn't confess. And then he was moved to the rack where the following day he gave in and confessed. Um, Meanwhile, on the same day, November 6th, the other conspirators raided Warwick Castle for supplies and then continued to Huddington, where they met up with Thomas Winter. Um, At this point, Thomas Bates, Catesby's servant, split off from the group to deliver a letter to Father Henry Garnett and the other priests, telling them what had happened and asking for their help. Um, In response, Garnett begged them to stop and turn themselves in. 
Um, and then he himself fled and went into hiding. Um, it's kind of a shitty thing to do to send that letter to him. The last stand of the conspirators in the gunpowder plot happened, I believe it was later that night at Holbeck House, um, which was the mansion of one of the members of the group. It's near Staffordshire. Um, this information, it's, it's conflicting. Uh, what exactly happened, but these are like the basics. Um, on the way to Holbeck House, the men had stopped at their homes. They'd stopped at um, their relatives' homes, their friends' homes, just all the members of the group's houses looking for any kind of like support or supplies or a place to hide, but nobody was having it. Like <laughs> no doors were opened for them. It was, it was bad news. Um, so they went to Holbeck House. They were just exhausted and waiting for the King's men to come find them, basically. The only weapon they had was the leftover gunpowder because they didn't think to buy anything else. Um, but it had gotten wet along the way. So they poured it out to near the fire to dry it out. And gunpowder doesn't normally explode unless it's contained. Like, that's why it's in bullets. Like, it has to be contained in order to actually explode. They thought, we'll just dry it out. Right. Um, And it did. (laughs) And turns out that's dangerous, too. It doesn't have to be explosive to kill you. Um, So a little spark from the fire caught the gunpowder and engulfed Catesby, Rookwood, John Grant, and a member of the hunting party. Thomas Winter was on the way to Holbeck House when a messenger brought him the news that Catesby was dead. Thomas arrived at the house to find Catesby scorched but alive. John Grant was also alive but had been blinded by the fire, which is horrific. Um, Robert Winter and Thomas Bates had fled. So Catesby, Grant, the Wright brothers, which sounds weird if you're not talking about the airplane guys, but I guess they're still the Wright brothers, technically. Um, Rookwood and Percy, they all remained. All of them were injured, like badly injured, but they were alive. Um, And the men decided all they could do was stay in the house and wait for the authorities. All I can Um, see is, is it community when the pizza scene where everything's on fire and they come back to the apartment. <laughs> oh my God. Literally. This is what happens when men are in charge of a plan. It's not good. Okay. On the morning of November 8th, the sheriff of Worcestershire and 200 of his men arrived at Holbeck House. Thomas Winter was shot in the shoulder while trying to cross the courtyard and escape. Um, the Wright brothers and Rookwood were also shot. Catesby and Percy were both shot and killed. Grant, Rookwood, and Winter were arrested. Thomas Bates and Robert Keyes were both arrested as well in the places they had fled to. Francis Tresham was arrested on November 12th and taken to the Tower of London, along with several Catholic lords, including the Earl of Northumberland, (laughs) who had no clue what was going on. He's just happy to be here. Excited to be a part of things. Very confused, but happy to be involved. (laughs) Exactly. Um, The homes of all the conspirators were looted, which left most of their wives destitute, which... And they're like, we fucking called it. Poor wives of these men. 
just for the past year and a half their lives have been turned upside down and now they're just like broke on the streets um in a speech on november 9th king james focused on two topics which would become essentially his monarchy platform um and what he's most remembered for which were the divine right of kings and the quote-unquote catholic question um He insisted that the gunpowder plot had been devised by just a handful of Catholics, that not all of them were like this, and he did something very smart. He framed the event as a miracle, like that God had let him survive because he had been divinely appointed to be the ruler of England. That was his framing of it. It's so funny how religion like you can make up any story to like mm-hmm. swing things your way yeah be like ah well god says that we can <laughs> kill you because it's because fine it's fine and we can and yeah. he's like uh actually checkmate um god <laughs> saved me <laughs> checkmate and they're because... like fuck we didn't think of that part ah damn it yeah, he pulled the old switcheroo on him. James was not a dumb guy. Um, he knew what he was doing. Um, so that speech did a lot to foster unity in England and peace in the period following the plot. Um, foreign Catholic powers distanced themselves from the conspirators. Um monarchs who had had you know dealings with winter for example other like we don't know that guy i've never seen him in my life like he is not a catholic he's an atheist he's a heretic like whatever um so james was able to convince the other monarchs that he would continue treating catholics fairly in england so like no harm no harm done no hard feelings um The conspirators who had been captured were interrogated in the Tower of London over a period of 10 weeks. We don't know for sure. It's a long time. That's like, (laughs) I don't, it's 10 weeks. (laughs) I don't know. It's like a semester almost. You wake up the next day and they're like, all right, we're going to go back over things again. It's like, yay. (laughs) Yay. Can't wait to go back over things again. Um, Eating like your cold oatmeal or whatever they ate. Um, yeah, we don't know for sure when the torture started. We don't know all the different forms it might have taken or how brutal it was. Um, but everybody confessed. <laughs> That's what we do know. Um, Guy Fox's and Thomas Winter's confessions were printed in full. Um, because Winter was the only surviving member of the group that had been involved in the conspiracy since the very beginning, his testimony implicated tons of people, like basically everybody else. Um, Thomas Percy's Earl was imprisoned in the Tower of London solely because of his association with Thomas. There was no evidence that he was involved. It just didn't look good that he had sort of recommended Thomas for all these positions. And then Thomas turned around and did this. He's like, um, oh, yeah, that does look a little bit, <laughs> that does look yeah. a bit funky. <laughs> I, can I can see it. I can see how you got there. Yeah. Whoopsie. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
because Thomas Percy was dead, though, there was no one who could either implicate him or clear his name. Um, so he was in a tricky situation, the Earl. He was in a little bit of a pickle. Um, the authorities believed that the plan might have been what I said earlier, that the Earl was chosen to sort of be the caretaker for Princess Elizabeth until she became of age to be on the throne. Um, but because he never confessed to anything, and everyone else did at some point, um, I think he honestly didn't know about the that, that plan. <laughs> they never got around to telling him. <laughs> no, they didn't, because they didn't want him to tell anybody else. So it, honestly, like, what were they thinking? They were just going to, like, drop off a little girl at his house and be like, here you go. Here's what we did. And he would be like, oh, great. This is so awesome. I always wanted to be in my household. Right. <laughs> like, no, what are you just thinking? Just take off your blindfold. <laughs> Literally. Oh, she's so cute. Love it. Um, yeah. Weird. So they couldn't execute him because he hadn't confessed to anything, because he hadn't done anything. Um, but they couldn't let him go either. That would look bad. So they just kept him in prison until he died 15 years later <laughs> it's fucked up it's terrible it's but it's also you gotta laugh you have to yep it's super fucked up um a few other catholic lords were also imprisoned or fined and some of them were eventually released and some were not um i didn't get into who exactly did what because they haven't been in the story the whole time so I didn't really care about them um when Thomas Bates finally gave his full confession on December 4th all the priests were implicated um so Father Gerard who had given the original conspirators communion at the inn that one night um he and Father Tesimond both escaped and sort of just ran off into the sunset like they they faded into history it's like i knew something was fishy about them men exactly um but they got away um good though good for them yeah father garnett was not so lucky he was found in hiding and he was brought to trial meanwhile francis tresham the chad um who had wrote the letter had fallen ill while in prison his cause of death is reported as strangury, which I was like, oh, is that just like a weird, like old English form of like strangulation? Like he was hung or something? Um, it's not. It's very different. Um, apparently, it's when you have the urge to pee, but you can't pee. That was his cause of death. Um, so like having a bladder <laughs> infection? It can be a symptom of a bladder infection. It's probably like the most common symptom of a bladder infection um it can also be a symptom of several different um sexually transmitted diseases um it can be a symptom of bladder cancer like a lot of different things we don't know exactly what it was um so he died of that infection or illness or whatever on december 23rd um before he was buried in the Tower of London, his head was removed and placed on a pike on London Bridge. Um, 
On January 26th, which coincidentally was the same day that Father Garnett was found, the surviving conspirators were arraigned at Westminster Hall. The trial was packed with onlookers, which included the king and his family, although they were in hiding. They weren't just like, hey, we're back. Um, It really wasn't a trial so much as it was like a public... um, Shaming. Yeah. And just kind of like, well, let's let's see what they have to say for themselves before we kill them. Like, there was no justice going on. Um, no like due process or anything I guess Um, and everyone had already confessed so um, the man who had interrogated the conspirators whose name was Sir Edward Cook declared that each prisoner would be drawn backwards to his death by a horse his head near the ground he was to be put to death halfway between heaven and earth as unworthy of both His genitals would be cut off and burnt before his eyes. (laughs) Please don't rip my dick off. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's the title. It's meant to be. (laughs) Please don't rip my dick off. Um, Yeah, have to laugh. Um, His genitals would be cut off and burnt before his eyes and his bowels and heart then removed. Then he would be decapitated and the dismembered parts of his body displayed so that they might become prey for the fowls of the air. Then confessions and declarations from the prisoners were read aloud, and finally the prisoners were allowed to speak. Rookwood claimed that he had been introduced to the plot by Catesby, quote, whom he loved above any worldly man. Like, that's a cult leader. And all these guys say some variation of it. Oh, Catesby was just so persuasive. Oh, I I would do anything for Robert Catesby. Like, I love him so much. And that's why I went to all this trouble. Like, dude was serious. Um, So Thomas Winter begged that his brother be spared. Um, Guy Fawkes explained that he had pled... (laughs) I don't mean to be laughing. It's really a serious situation. Guy Fox said that he had pled not guilty because he hadn't understood some of the things that he had been charged with. I like that we've decided that he is just a little bit of a little dumbass and he just keeps keeps fitting that narrative. We, we didn't have to decide anything. He chose the pseudonym John Johnson. And now he's like, I'm not quite sure why I'm here or what I said yes to. I don't even know if they have my right name down at this point. (laughs) Right. You guys know my real name is Guy Fox, right? Like he they're like, we figured that out. Like like, we saw the letter on your person addressed to Guy Fox. Like we knew right away. Um Yeah, he hadn't understood some of the um, things he was charged with, so he wanted to change his plea. It's like a spelling um, bee. Can you define <laughs> terrorism? <laughs> Use it in a sentence. Um, yeah. Uh, Robert Keyes, on the other hand, simply accepted his fate. Um, that was noted. Um, Father Garnett had confessed under torture and was charged with high treason in a separate indictment and trial in March, and he was sentenced to death. 
Um, the bodies of Robert Catesby and Thomas Percy were exhumed and decapitated and their heads put on pikes outside the House of Lords. Um, on January 30th, Robert Winter, John Grant, and Thomas Bates were tied to wooden panels and dragged through the streets of London to St. Paul's Churchyard, where they were stripped, castrated, disemboweled, and quartered. The following day, Thomas Winter, Ambrose Rookwood, Robert Keyes, and Guy Fox were hanged, drawn, and quartered in the old palace yard at Westminster. Guy Fox actually jumped from the gallows and broke his neck before he could be drawn and quartered. Um, Smartest thing that he did, and it was probably an accident. <laughs> <laughs> you hope it was on purpose, but knowing him, he might have just tripped. He's like, aha, I got away. Bam, <laughs> Bam, crushed. At least he didn't have to see his dick get ripped off before his eyes. <laughs> the others are like fuck i wish i thought of that (laughs) they try to do it real quick (laughs) that's fucked up (laughs) funny though um so that's how everybody died and everybody involved did die um In the summer of 1606, the Popish Recusants Act returned England to the Elizabethan system of fines and restrictions and introduced an oath of allegiance, and full Catholic emancipation would not take place for another 200 years. That is the story of the gunpowder plot, or the gunpowder treason, or the Jesuit treason. Which is a lot funnier than I remember it being. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It is pretty funny. Uh, that's that's a good time. I love the Ocean's Eleven vibe. I do. And I want to see it. It's a movie now. I, I know. Wanna, I want to see it so bad. As a comedy. Yes, 100% as a comedy with like hokey graphics and all (laughs) kinds of shit. Yeah, like really overdone fight scenes and stuff. Mm -hmm. Heavy on the sound effects. Mm -hmm. It would have the best soundtrack. It would. (laughs) Oh my God, are we writing this movie? I don't know. Are (laughs) we? Let's write it. Yeah, let's write it. We're doing it. This is our path to fame. (laughs) Yeah, that would be rather weird. No, that was fun. That was great. That was funny. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I didn't mean for it to be. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's terrible and a lot of people get like horrendously fucking tortured, but (laughs) is that not like every story that I tell too? Literally. You just, you got to weave in the funny. Yeah. Or what's the point? Yeah. It's true. I wonder if they'd be upset that we're laughing about it. I hope at least uh, one or two of them would get a kick out of it. And uh, I'm trying to remember his name because I gave him a different name in my head. Um, Chad, (laughs) you called him Chad. Um, In my head, he's Sean. I don't know why. Um, (laughs) He has Sean energy to me. But with an S-E-A-N, that Mm -hmm. kind of Sean. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Yeah, I feel like he would get a kick out of everything. For sure. He would definitely look back and laugh a little bit and be like, yeah, we were kind of fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> in retrospect, it's kind of amazing. I convinced everybody I did not write that letter. So. Right. And literally the mistakes that they made were not all centralized to one person. Like the fact that everybody involved made like a horrible, like stupid mistake is just like. Kate's you- be standing there watching everybody <laughs> fuck up at all corners. And he's like, ah, yes, this is going perfectly to plan. These men are my tribe. They're my <laughs> band of brothers. Just pouring gunpowder onto the fire. I would die for these men. <laughs> You're gonna. Well, good news. <laughs> Get your wish. <laughs> I don't know. Like, if I amassed that group of people and they're over here sending, like, secret letters and they're like, mm, I kind of changed my mind about my employer. <laughs> Is there any way that we can maybe, like, slightly but not seriously maim the guy? Um, and then the wife, your wives the whole time, like, um, sweetheart, when are you going to come out of the basement? <laughs> um, dinner is getting weird. <laughs> um, I don't think your little friends can stay another night. It was fine when it was a group of like three or four of you drinking down here, but now mm-hmm. there's like 37 of you. <laughs> the house is full of gunpowder. <laughs> the neighbors look at me really weird all the time. Yep. It's just, it's not, it's not feasible, sweetheart. Um, right. I feel like at that point, Catesby should have been like, mm, I don't, I mm, maybe back to square one on this. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should cut some people loose. Well, at so many points, there were opportunities to go back to square one and nothing would have been gunpowder decayed and everything. They're like, now let's just buy more. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's the clear solution here. Put it in the exact same spot. (laughs) (laughs) And then the guy who's going to set up, we're just going to have him stand there for a really, really long time. He's going to be sort of lurking in the basement around the gunpowder. And it's the guy who named himself John Johnson. (laughs) He can pick anybody else. He clearly can't lie to save his life. (laughs) What do you think was going to happen if he got caught? (laughs) I love how he just immediately says the guy's actual name. Thomas Percy. Fuck. (laughs) Oh my god. I'm crying. Me too. This is the hardest I've laughed in a while. That's that's good. That's great. (laughs) That was good times, man. That was good times. (laughs) This is a good episode. Yeah, that was fun. Who knows what the fuck we're doing after this episode. No clue, man. No clue at all. In the meantime, you know how to get a hold of us. Mm-hmm. You know where to find our contact details, hopefully, at this point. We'll post some fun stuff on Instagram, like we always do. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we do? You can recommend stuff to us. Please recommend stuff to us. I don't <laughs> like to think. I know. Thinking is hard trying to find something to write an episode on takes way more energy than you think it does it really does it's not just like you punch in like england which and then you find something you're like oh perfect 
you type in England, which, and then you're like, I already did all of these ones and I already know about this one. And then Mm. you have to go down a rabbit hole for like four hours just to find something interesting that also has enough stuff to write about it. Um, So yeah, recommend stuff to us. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it can't just be like, oh, I, I think it might be cool as a topic. Like it has to be an actual story. Or like, I'm clearly very bad at picking topics. I chose Connecticut today, which <laughs> is not a very dramatic state if you know anything about the U.S. But it's um, good to know the history because we are going to knock out all the colonies eventually, I'm assuming. Just one by one. Yeah, we did Maryland um, and then we did Salem, obviously, and now Connecticut. Now yeah, Connecticut. and there are others. I don't know what they are. <laughs> there are a few others, I think. There are at least 13. <laughs> <laughs> at least. So, yeah, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening and thanks be to God. Blessed be.